Hey, welcome to The OK Show. It's a podcast that features real musicians talking about their real lives, and it's brought to you by The Current. I'm your host, Andrea Swenson, and on today's episode, I'm going to be talking to the powerful young artist in the St. Paul music scene named Lydia Liza. We're going to hear from Lydia in just a few minutes, but first a little background on why I wanted to invite her on to the show. You see the sun has risen And again it will fall All the flowers at your bedside If only to forestall so Lydia Liza, known offstage as Lydia Hoagland, got her start fronting the band Bomba de Luz, and she put out her first EP when she was just 16 years old. She was already leaps and bounds ahead of other Twin Cities musicians in a few different ways. She was taking songwriting classes at McNally Smith from Jeremy Messersmith. She was booking her own shows and playing several nights a week. And she was commanding listeners with her huge, booming, elastic voice, which sounds like it's coming out of another time and place altogether. Since then, she's gone on to guest on many different projects, including Toki Wright and Big Cat's Pangea, and she joined Toki on the road as a member of his live band. She's also established herself as a solo performer, but she's yet to release much material under her own name, and we're going to get to more of the why behind that in today's conversation. Lydia is still only 20. She's getting ready to celebrate her 21st birthday at the end of this month, but she strikes me as an old soul. She bursts forth with a giddy, youthful energy, but she seems to understand people and connect with her audience and her peers on an emotional level in a way that's difficult for a lot of people. Being that empathetic comes with a cost, and that's a trade-off that Lydia has been reckoning with in recent years. At the beginning of this year, she hit a wall and a mental health crisis landed her in the ER, followed by both inpatient and outpatient treatments. On the way to talking about her health and recovery, Lydia touched on just about every topic imaginable. We ended up talking about feminism, about anxiety, about Miley Cyrus and Taylor Swift, about the pressure that we place on celebrities, and ultimately the pressure that she's placed on herself. We felt all the feelings, we covered all the things, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm here now with Lydia. Hi, Lydia. Hi. We're in my backyard. Yeah. We started a fire. Yeah. We're having a classic fall evening. It's so good. <laughs> uh, we're looking out at the city. It's a nice night. And I am just excited to talk to you because it's been a while since yeah. we've caught up. What's new with you? You're going to McNally? Yeah. Where I'm, are you at in that process? I'm a sophomore now. Okay. Because I did PSEO when I was in high school. I'm doing songwriting composition. And the only reason I'm able to go at all was because Harry, the president ended up giving me a full ride wow so that was like one of the most incredible moments of my entire life I can't remember where it started but he was like let me take you out to lunch let's talk and then um, I met him at McNally this was probably like two years ago Mm -hmm. so I met him there and we walked to his favorite restaurant in St. Paul and we were just talking about life and music and then we were sitting down eating, and I was too nervous to eat. Like, I don't, I think I had two bites of food. And then he 
told me that he wanted to offer me a full ride so I started crying and he started crying oh, and, sweet. It, and then he told me I'm crying because of this but also I'm crying because my cat died the other day oh so like God. it was like this really beautiful moment for some reason just him telling me that his cat died too mm-hmm. I don't know why I'll always remember that <laughs> so so yeah that is the only reason I'm like able to go to school right now and I wouldn't really want to go anywhere else yeah Cause it's a music school right and it's awesome and that's where i met jeremy messersmith and brian laidlaw and everybody in high school it was more i, I think it was more novel in a way because then after i was doing pseo i started playing shows more often and having the opportunity to play with my old teachers too mm. and so now being there is incredible again because you're always learning and i don't understand music theory but it's also sort of like it's a weird experience when they're teaching students ways to break into local scenes and stuff. Right. And nothing is ever the same for anybody. Like, every story is so different. Right. So, I mean, they can give advice. They can give a guideline. But it's always different. So I'm always thinking about that for some reason. And I have two songwriting teachers. I have Joe Horton and Michael Johnson. And it's interesting to see the different ways they go through songwriting like it's Mm -hmm. I don't know Mm -hmm. it's I don't know it's so weird going to school for something that I was doing and then took a break and then go back to school for it right I don't know it's really interesting when I met you for the first time I was really drawn to your energy and one thing that I felt like I could really relate to you on is that you knew that music was what you wanted to do at like a really early age yeah and you kind of had your sights set on it like from age 17 you know or yeah. earlier I think I was 16 when yeah. I first yeah um so I'm curious now that you know you've graduated high school like bring me up to speed a little bit like what has that been like for you to know that this is what you want to do and now to get to the point where you know I'm going to go to school for this and, yeah. and keep learning in this way yeah, I don't know. It's been the most rewarding and most difficult thing yeah. I think I could have chosen to do. Because going to high school and gigging three or more times a week and being up till three in the morning and then knowing you have class at seven the next morning and stuff like that, it was really hard. But I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything. I think one of the hardest things about it was I was defining myself as only a musician like I Mm. did not care about who I really was I wanted to like project what I thought I was and let just the music be who I was does that make sense it does yeah yeah so I actually like did not do myself justice in high school I didn't have the normal high school experience I lost so many friends because I wasn't even a a little bit myself I was every I was like what I wanted other people to think I was right so I was like going absolutely crazy in high school my best friend from third grade we stopped talking all this crazy stuff nobody thought I was genuine anymore because I was like actually always busy and it was really terrifying for me too and of course I thought I was like hot shit for a while and I and I I thought I had to think I was mm. So that was really hard. And then we, all of us, all the guys in Bomba, we took a year off just to gig and see what we could do. And that's when it all started falling apart because all our friends went to college in different places. And we still did gigs and it was still 
rewarding, but it just started getting really hard for us. We were like, what if this isn't it? What if this isn't gonna work? What if this really shouldn't happen? And then they all went to school on the East Coast. They all left at the same time? Yeah, they all went to, well, two of like the huge, Evan Slackwin mm-hmm. and then John Blanda, who was our piano player. And they went to school on the East Coast and Gavin was working full time with my dad doing construction. And then Judah was just like running around the town doing his thing. So it was weird, like we totally just fell off after we did this one show at Ice House. It was like our last show. And then after that, I was like, I can do this. I'm going to be a solo artist. I'm going to do this. But I just, I did not have the energy and I just would try to write songs and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I didn't want to write what I thought people wanted me to write. When you first start writing songs, you like vomit songs. (laughs) Seriously, because you're like, you don't expect anything. And then as soon as you know you're not expecting anything, but other people want that, they want to hear songs, it gets really terrifying really quick because you just don't, you don't know what to do. You don't know, you don't know how to please everybody at once. And I wasn't even like pleasing myself whatsoever, even a little. And I was in a really bad relationship and I was just like going crazy. I had to take a step back and like, that's mostly why that project with POS has taken years yeah and he told me he knew it was gonna take years yeah he like I every time I talk to him he's like do you have any songs for me and I'm like no I don't I don't have anything (laughs) and he's always like yeah I knew that this was gonna happen and not even in an angry way he's he's like the most patient person and he teaches me so much but he was just like yeah as soon as I met you and me thinking you were over 20 and then picking you up from high school when you're 16 he was like i knew it was going to take until you were like at least 20. he literally anything done like yeah he did (laughs) that's like how we met it was over twitter and then he called me and then i was like pick me up here tomorrow and it was my high school (laughs) and uh, he was like whoa 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 you sound like that and you're 16 and i was like hi i'm lydia (laughs) it's really nice to meet you and i think It was so beneficial, though, that for how quick things were going, like Mm -hmm. meeting my favorite people in the scene, I was terrified the whole time, every minute of it. And I think that's what kept me not feeling like I was hot. Right. Like it keeps you humble to be terrified. But then I was like terrified of even existing. So that's when I started shutting down the most. Yeah. I'm stuck in places there are no more traces of me I've left behind Battles won and lost and I'm stuck in the frost Yet the storm has not come to mind Oh, and how will I keep warm? Keep my bones from freezing in this storm Not to like... Like, I see so much of myself in you, but I can really relate to what you're saying about, you know, 18 is such a pivotal time. Yeah. Like, not just because you're leaving high school and pursuing whatever you're going to pursue next, but I think you're starting to get a grasp of who you are. And I think there's this temptation to like, feel like, yes, I figured out who I want to be. And there aren't that many people that leave high school knowing what they want to be. You know, they go to college, they try to figure it out. And there's something so powerful about connecting with like a passion that early, but it's also terrifying. It's the worst. It's a like, huge responsibility. <laughs> I do not recommend that. I do really, 
It is. It is. Did you have that with writing? I is did. That, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, sweet, this is my life all figured out and tied up, you yeah. know, in a bow. And I floundered for five years before I got on any kind of path that was right. Yeah. There's so many other parts of life that you have to figure out, too. Seriously. Like, it ends up being just a small part of who you are. Like, what you do isn't the only thing that makes you who you are. Yeah. And that's what's so hard about it. Because it feels so good. And yeah. it feels so defining in the moment. Mm-hmm. But it also totally isn't. It's what you actually are that adds to the passion, you know? Right. And it took me forever to even start thinking about that. I'm still accepting that. Like, that I can walk in a conversation and not be like, I'm Lydia, I'm a musician. I can just offer conversation. I used to think I had to prove myself constantly mm-hmm. or no one was going to care that I existed. So that, I mean, yeah. Was that how you felt as a writer, too, sort of? Did you I mean, want to be like, I'm Andrew, I'm a writer? <laughs> I definitely went through a a phase I guess of my writing where people started like knowing who I was and that weirded me out a lot yeah like when I got the job at City Pages and all of a sudden like people were talking about me on message boards and whether or not I was qualified to be in that position you know and so yeah there is this I don't know if it's like a distinctly Twin Cities music scene thing or like every creative person goes through this but like kind of do have to prove yourself at first like yeah. I deserve to be here especially as a woman like I deserve oh my to be God, here yeah that was one of those things where I have so not so much more as a woman to prove but you do it's tricky because I think in my mind when I started thinking about like feminism and how it could apply to my job it's like well I know what sexism looks like it's like when a guy tells you that you're like abroad or whatever you know like like I thought it was going to be really cut and dry and then you realize oh it's actually like all of these systemic things like a lineup for a festival comes out and there are two women on the whole thing or like they do a poll of the best artists or the best albums and two of them are women and it's like that that represents so much more than like someone saying an offhanded sexist comment. It's like, no, this is actually a problem. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's totally. Uh, oh my god, who was it that started that tweet? There was like a Twitter thing where all these women were tweeting. Oh, this, Jessica this. Hopper. Yeah. Yeah. And reading through those was probably one of the most disturbing moments of my life, and it made me think. There was this one show I did at Palmer's Bar, and I remember there was this one guy. I got off stage and I was like, I need to get out of here. Usually the guys in the band were super good at keeping track of me. And tonight it was just one of those nights where they were doing other stuff and I needed to get out of there. Right. And I was walking out with my friend Tara and I was grabbed by this guy and pulled like oh no. super close. It was terrifying. And he, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he, it was super gross. And like, thanks for getting on stage so I could think about having sex with you, like all this stuff. And then Tara grabbed my arm and she was like, we need to get out of here and started pulling me. And then he slapped my ass so hard and it was the scariest thing. And then we just ran back to the car because I was afraid he was like gonna follow us. Yeah. And there was like a lot of that, but not that bad. Yeah. There have been shows where guys will be up front yelling at me the whole time. Which is not an ego boost. That is definitely not. Yeah, I am really hot. Thanks. It's Look, can't you take really a compliment? Terrifying, right? Right? <laughs> I hate that. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that. I don't know. I've been thinking about feminism a lot more. Yeah. I think it's funny that a lot of people think feminism is just about women and right. not complete equality because it's feminism, like female. 
I wish more people would be like, oh, I get it. It's everybody. You it's know? It's the same as Black Lives Matter. It's true. And then All lives say, matter. Yeah, exactly. That's it's, such bull though. That's not. I know. Yeah. It's saying specifically we need to pay attention to women and black lives because they're not being valued and given the same treatment. Yeah. And people take that as some kind of personal offense against their stance in society. I don't know. It's not. It's messed up. I could go on. It's all, I know. I know. <laughs> it's all crazy. I think the internet, I was talking about this in my class with Joe, this generation of music and culture is sort of like another renaissance mm-hmm. because what caused the first renaissance was the printing press. And then there's this, the internet. Mm-hmm. There's no global limit whatsoever. Anybody can talk to anybody anywhere. Right. And it makes you think a lot more about so many things. It's so easy to get completely overwhelmed. I think that's one of the reasons I've had so much trouble defining myself in this world is because it's this world and it's so crazy. Do you feel like when you have access to that much information, like I sense that you're a very empathetic person, like you really easily connect with other people. Are you emotionally weighted down by knowing that that, like there's suffering in the world, that these messed up things are happening? Dude, for sure. And one of the things is when you are a performer, it's so easy for other people to be like, oh, she's got such a holier-than-thou attitude and so egotistical. And I definitely am super empathetic, and that's the reason I write songs. It's always I've wanted to speak for the times and just be something people will listen to and be like, I've totally felt like that, I totally get it, and that's all I've ever wanted. But you can't live like that. You can't live for other people. You can't live feeling everybody's emotions. Mm -hmm. But it's hard, too, to prove to people that you are an emotional, honest person when you are a performer, when you are an artist. It's so, it's so pretentious sometimes. Right. You know, and that's, that's what I hate about it. And I think that's kind of why I pulled out for a while, like pulled out of the race was like, I can't handle the way people see me. I can't handle the way I see me. You shut down. It's easy to shut yourself down. It's so easy to be like, all right, there's all this. It all. I can't do this. You know. Stop late at night. I am stuck between things that I shouldn't be left alone for so long. It's just you and me. I am lost in the shadows behind your eyes. So, um, I was reading our like last interview transcript. I looked cute. it up. <laughs> Andrew, that's so because cute. I was like, what did we talk about? Because it was what, three years ago or something? Or yeah, two well, years ago? 2013, right? Mm-hmm. And I found this quote that I might actually share, if that's okay. Yeah, I'm in. It made me think just really seriously about the pressure that was put on you from such a young age to be a success. Yeah. And you talked about how you were so amped up and inspired by this like kind of fount of songwriting that you're just spewing out and making all this music with Bomba de Luz and you said I don't know what I would do if it ever dried up or if it ever went away or if I ever stopped loving doing this I think I would just like go crazy yeah or like I think you even said like I think I would just die yeah so I was wondering now that some time has passed you know what did that do to you to be so like on fire passionate excited about music but also have this like 
kind of magnifying glass placed on you from like a really early point in your career. Yeah. Was that right around the time we did the in-studio? This was before Is it before? So like pretty much right after that, I think we did the in-studio and then we got featured on national public radio. Right. And that's kind of when it started getting very serious and all of our friends who were in bands, you could tell that they were like, wow, guys thanks a lot for Mm. leaving us behind the people we were playing with and stuff and it was not fair it it was really hard but it wasn't anybody's fault it's really exciting new bands are the most exciting thing and probably after our second album and then I wrote some more songs after that and then we went to Chicago and recorded in Chicago and then that was the end for me like I Mm. couldn't do it anymore and I think I did just die, pretty much, in a, in a way, because that was when I started going super, super crazy. Like, I had this Miley Cyrus phase, not, I love Miley Cyrus, but it was this kind of phase where I was so promiscuous and crazy and didn't care about any consequence, and I had usually been pretty calculated and logical about how I was, and I just went insane, and everyone was like, what is going on? Literally. I had gone through a terrible breakup and a band on the verge of breaking up, which was my identity. And then I lived like that for a while and I went to school. I was like, there's nothing else I can do besides go to school. And that's when Harry gave me the full ride. Wow. And that was like a saving grace, I thought. I was like, I can start over. I can be a whole new human. And I, I do believe that you die so many times in your life the person you are doesn't exist anywhere so they've definitely just died so I went to school and it was it was fun it was fine and then my grades started getting really awful and I couldn't do it I just couldn't do it and that's when I like went into the hospital I there was one day I called my mom I was like I can't do this you need to take me seriously right now and bring me to the ER and I remember sitting in the ER telling them yeah I want to kill myself yeah, I really, yeah, this all sucks. But I wasn't crying. And I remember one girl made my mom leave the emergency room and she was talking to me and she's like, people aren't usually this calculated. Mm. People are usually crying. People are usually freaking out when they make the decision to go in the hospital. I was like, no, I've been thinking about this for a while. I was just so bored. I was so done with me. And so I was there for, I only stayed for two days because I hated it. Oh my God, was it the worst thing? Yeah, for sure, that was horrible. And I mean, there were great therapists there and it was nice to know you're not alone. There are like 60 year old men just hanging out, just like, yeah, my life really sucks right now. But that, it wasn't the inpatient that helped me, it was definitely outpatient. And that was a month and I met so many of the greatest people I still talk to them today but yeah no that I mean it all led up to it for sure I can't imagine how many times secretly child stars have gone into inpatient right I can I bet Miley Cyrus has probably been there 20 times I bet you know it's impossible it's no human should be popular like that right it's not healthy but at the if you know yourself you can deal with it for sure and that's a lot of what I've learned from just the people who were like I believe in you Lydia and they made it so personal where I could say I really don't want to do this sometimes I really am really afraid (laughs) I don't know 
and they've been like we feel like that but there's no other choice what else are you gonna do mm. you know yeah I think one of the scariest things was when I opened up for Jake Buck that was mm. that was the biggest oh what the hell is going on what venue was that in it was fine line okay and it was sold out and there were people outside who knew me there was a line around the block and I took a bunch of pictures with people and I was like this is what's happening oh my god like so scared and so amazed and so happy and I remember at the end of the night this is a good story at the end of the night I went down to my green room which would it had my name on it I was so excited so I went down there and then Jake he came up to my door, he knocks on it, he goes, I said, vav, vav, seven, vav, And I was like, what? Okay, yeah. And then I walk into my green room, and then it sounds like he's trying to open a door in my green room from his green room, because they're side by side. So I try to open it, and then he goes, oh. And then I was like, what have I done? And then I realized it was his bathroom door that I was trying oh, no. to open. <laughs> oh, my God. And then I, I just, like, got some courage and I walk into his green room and I go what did you say before I didn't get it I didn't understand and then he was like no I was wondering if you wanted a beer and then we like sat and we're just like hanging out and his bandmates were so cool and me and him sang songs for he had girls come down from the crowd to hang out with us so we were just doing covers of different bands and everybody had to put their phones away it couldn't be recorded nothing like that i sat next to him and i literally said how are you is this terrifying and that's the most badass i've ever felt was to take jake bug aside and be like are you actually okay and he was like no i'm exhausted all Mm. the time and then his manager she was talking to me and she's like you've got the chops you could do this you could get worldwide famous but you have to be ready to be so tired to get up at six, fly to Japan, in the morning in Japan at that point, do it again all day. Right. Which scared me. That scared me mm. too. You know, because it's, it seriously is very hard. I can't, I always think about Dessa when I think about this, because I admire her, so her work ethic, everything. But I think about her being on the cover of Business in- Insider mm-hmm. and that she is that too. She's like, She's a boss. She's a boss. Yeah. She's just everything. I love that. Are you able to talk to, besides Jake Bug, other artists about that part of being like a public person? Yeah. And a lot of them do say, suck it up. You can do this. Really? Yeah. Suck it up. Just not like, not like suck it up, but like, yeah, feel that. It's going to be fine. Yeah. But also I think a big thing is being so young and all of the people I want to hang out with all the time are like 32 with kids you know what I mean (laughs) so it's weird like that too and there's a weird rivalry with the women too it's like a not it's not really spoken out loud women are very competitive and they don't even realize it sometimes do you feel like there's a pressure to kind of like grow down or like blend in with kind of the masculine landscape of the music scene? Definitely. Yeah, 100%. And I think I've like made myself that too. Mm. I've never felt very feminine. I couldn't do what Caroline Smith does. Right. I couldn't look that freaking cute and dance across the stage. I couldn't. I couldn't do what Lizzo does. I want to stand there, do nothing, play a guitar and sing and be nice and funny on stage, obviously. Like, make it personal but not I every time I go on stage in a dress I 
tear it off the minute I'm in the green room. I'm like, nope, I shouldn't have done that. But yeah, growing down, I think a lot of it too is all the mentors that were most important to me were men. And they're all big brothers. Like Eric Mason is my biggest, best big brother. And Spence, Big Cats, he's my big brother. Like they are protectors and people I can be really honest with. What was it like to be part of Toki's band? The best thing. Yeah. It was so fun. I mean, we still do shows sometimes. But it was so great being on tour with Atmosphere. That was the greatest thing. It was just like constant, unending passion. Just so excited about every moment. That was the most fun I think I've ever had. Because mm. it was random. It was Toki like, hey, I need a backup singer. And I was like, me? What? You asking me? And then it just became the four piece it ended up being. And then we just rode with it. Can we go back to a place that maybe never was the case? Erase the hate. I locked the letter in the safe to cast away with castaways. They say that no man is an island. But if you were ever stranded, how you manage to be smiling? How you keep it? What's your secret to avoid all of the for surviving in this new land would you use a heap to judge a human do you feel like as you were going through all these changes in your relationship with yourself as a performer did it help to not be the center of attention for a while totally yeah yes there was a right before I went in the hospital too I stopped doing shows with them and then I was in the hospital when I was supposed to do two out-of-town shows Mm. so there was that guilt too but I was still learning to be a performer, but I didn't have to be the performer. Right. You know, you weren't responsible for the whole show. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I know. It's weird to talk about all of this because I'm like figuring all of it makes sense. You right. Know? That's what's so crazy about it is I don't there are two ways it could have gone. I could have kept making music and been somewhere else. But I think it makes more sense that I took a break. I think it was Toki, actually, when I first met him, probably when I was, like, 14, doing a workshop at McNally. He was like, you can't do this. You can't perform if you don't know yourself at all. Mm. It's It won't work. And it actually came down to, when I was an outpatient, questions like, what is your favorite color? Have you thought about that? Mm. Wait, where would you like to go? The the lamest questions like that and I would sit there being like I do not know what I is don't your favorite know color? it's red <laughs> Me I too. really like red <laughs> yeah and it feels good to know these things yeah yeah I think it's poignant that you have learned this I mean you still haven't turned 21 like, I know I think of Few you days. I think of you like an old soul oh, so I think geez. you're like where most 40 year olds are at dude I <laughs> hope so I'm really sick of this like I'm just <laughs> this mental torture I just want to be 40 and have it <laughs> under control <laughs> you know I think the nice thing about having some time pass is like you get a little perspective of like yeah. okay that happened and I felt crazy like passionate about this thing and then I had to step way back and like evaluate it from a distance and now I can go back to it yeah and you start seeing things as like a timeline like I was really interested in what you said about you feel like parts of you kind of die and are reborn all the time yeah 
I think for me, like recently, it's been this journey of realizing that like all those parts are actually still alive, but they're just like part of me now. Yeah. And I don't have to feel ashamed of like the crazy person I was when I was 18 or whatever, like the mistakes I made when I was 20 and like, it's all just part of me and I wouldn't be where I was now if that hadn't happened. Totally. Yeah. But that's like a really hard thing to realize. Definitely. That you don't have to be ashamed. I think I'm still in the phase where I am ashamed of that, but I also recognize that I wouldn't be at all who I am, even a little bit, if I wouldn't have done anything I did, you know? Yeah. Life is just the weirdest thing, and it's so fun to talk about you in the scheme of all of it, and learning about you. Everybody knowing themselves is, like, so important. Yeah. I And knowing what kind of music you want to make is so important or what you want to write about or being curious enough to want to search for that. Right. My mom's always said, if you stop being curious, you are dead. Like, it. Right. that's not any kind of life. I think that's why I was okay with going to the hospital because I was curious about inpatient. I wanted to know what it was like, kinda. And I was curious about what it would be like to play at first half. And then I played first half, like, mm seven or eight times before I was 20 you know like I was curious about all these things and I think if you're curious enough you make that your reality you make that the thing you want you know is your mom a Dylan fan yeah I feel like she should have a quote printed out and hung on the wall he not busy being born and busy dying that's the best yeah I love that quote I think about that all the time like yeah if you're not pushing yourself and challenging yourself and trying to figure out new stuff and new depths of like the human experience yeah like then what's the point I know my parents when I was a kid they started writing a children's book and one of the lines was dance all day to Dylan tunes and my dad was painting it while my mom was writing it that's like what my house was growing up was amazing just listening to Bob Dylan Jackson Brown Mm -hmm. the innocence Mm -hmm. mission a lot of that and then my dad would paint and my mom would just like hang out with us or write or whatever and that's, it was super inspiring. I know that you said you were thinking about this conversation. Are there things that we haven't yeah. talked about yet that are on your mind? No. <laughs> no. no, not really. That I mean, was it. <laughs> yeah, touched on all of it. No, I guess I, the one thing I was thinking was, shit, what am I going to tell her that I'm not recording anything right now? What am I going to do, you know? Because mm-hmm. I feel like so many people are just like, when's it going to happen to anybody, sort of. Like, I'm waiting for Adele's record. Right. I have been. The clock is ticking. I was so excited when Miley surprised me with a new record. And I, it's so exciting. But yeah, I guess that was kind of my fear. But I I think that's not what this podcast is about at all. No, it's not. So that's why it's like perfect. It's about the real Lydia. Yeah. The real Lydia wishes she was writing songs. But not happening that's why Lydia's going to school yeah is to get inspired again yeah yeah that makes sense I think that's a powerful thing to be able to do to be totally in control of your art to the point where you're like it's not the time right now like it's not the time to be creating I have to you know turn it the other way and take in stuff instead yeah and that's like me telling you I I would just die if I if it dried up and it definitely did and I am not dead at all like I'm just trying to learn to be patient with myself yeah because you can't just force things and I always 
my dad, since he is a painter, he would always say they're little tiny things. The weirdest things are gonna be things you think about forever. And they're just little nuggets that will make their way into something. And so right now I think I actually did have to step back and experience because all I was experiencing was the nightlife and the music scene. I forgot my entire life. And right now I'm like, hey, let's all hang out and talk and share experiences. Yeah. Instead of trying to write something I've never known. I think there's this mythology around being like the tortured artist, you know? Yeah. You always are kind of trying to get out from under the melancholy and the addiction or whatever you're struggling with, you know? But what I'm learning by talking to people for this podcast is actually the best art comes when you're healthy. Exactly. That is it. And like 16 year old Lydia, that's like prime age, healthy. I wasn't smoking yet. It was like prime Lydia, like some prime steak, prime rib, man, like so good. And then I just exhausted. Like I thought I was gonna die, like just my body even. Yeah. And now I'm like learning what sleep is again. And it's just, it totally is that. And I I don't think it is fair. Like I think Sylvia Plath really set the, set the wrong mood sometimes. But there is legitimacy to sadness and needing to write Absolutely. that. I mean, 90% of my songs are the saddest ones. But now I'm, my dad's always like, when are you going to write When are you gonna write a happy song? Oh, <laughs> dad. <laughs> when, you know, tell a story. And that's where I want to get to. Yeah. I think once I figure it out again, I, then I'll have a ground on myself. I'll know myself better than I ever have. I'll know what I want from me. I'll I'll know I already know what to expect from shows and how to perform. And I think then I I'll let myself just follow it. And I'm I'm like actually starting to not be mad at myself for that. I used to be so mad that I was like why aren't you doing this all the time? Where why don't you have a guitar with you? And I just didn't want the guitar. I didn't yeah. want that. That's a weird realization. Yeah. Well, I think the fire's going to go out soon. It is. But it was a good one. It was a good one. It was a good fire. Thank you, Lydia. Yeah, thanks, Andrea. I love talking to you. I love talking to you, too. That's so cute. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is so good. Good. And I'm haunted by the phantom of what I used to be. Well, there you have it. That was my conversation with Lydia Liza, formerly of Bomba de Luz, now a solo artist. She's taken some time working on her new material, but something tells me it's going to be worth the wait. My name is Andrea Swenson, and this has been another installment of The OK Show. Check back every Wednesday for a new episode if you subscribe via FeedBurner or iTunes. It'll just automatically appear for you. Otherwise, you can always check thecurrent.org for streaming audio and an archive of all of the past episodes. We're already up to number five. Next week for the sixth episode, I'll be talking to Astronautilus about what it's like to be constantly on the move. He's a hard touring rapper, and we'll talk about what it takes to stay healthy when you're that busy, and also what it was like to take confessions from hundreds of fans at this year's Eau Claire Festival. 
Thank you to The Current for supporting this endeavor. And until next time, it's going to be okay. Okay.